Well, welcome back to the When I Heard This Podcast. My name is Nate Robinson, and I'm here with Joseph Tillman. How are you, Joseph? Doing swell, my man. Doing swell. Are you sure? I am, actually. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't believe you. <laughs> you can't be good all the time. Well, this is true. I can't be, but uh, today is a good day. All right. Good whatever. today. Yeah, um, today we are talking about, uh, you sent me this prompt but if god is good why is there so much evil in the world mm-hmm. and uh you were thinking about some stuff and i was like okay now i gotta get into this headspace and ask you some questions about it so so that's what i did yeah man just up top like and share and subscribe and click buttons and whatever on all the things and uh we also have a patreon if you want to go there and send us five bucks that'd be fun so let's get in to this anything else you want to say about it up top no ma'am good okay so with the prompt that you sent me if god is good why is there so much evil in the world when you say god is good at the beginning of that statement Mm -hmm. what do you really mean that god is good because he doesn't seem great all the time (laughs) okay okay so yeah when i say god is good what i mean is that in his very nature he is selfless and unconditional in his love, that he actually desires that which is best for his creation. And that's good. And that's good. Okay. And that in his goodness, he is kind and he is merciful, he is generous, he is faithful, he is all of these things toward his creation. So when I say He's good. Like that's who he is in his nature, not just in what he does, but okay. because of who he is in his nature, that's also what he does. Okay. So his, in other words, in his nature and his attributes, he's good, and then therefore in his actions, he's good. So innately he is good. Correct. And outwardly he is good. Correct. Yeah, cuz he can't deny himself, right? So like in other words, he always has to be good because to be anything other than that would be a contradictory statement for him. Has to be or yeah. just is. He is, and therefore all of his actions have to be good. You mean have to be not because he's forcing himself. Yeah, not because it. he's forcing himself, but just, just because natural, yeah, it just it just flows out of who he is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So God <laughs> You say he's good, but Uh God also has murdered lots of people before and lets me stub my toe and it hurts sometimes. So (laughs) so how can – if the action is good Mm -hmm. that you say and he's inherently good, why does stuff suck? (laughs) Stuff suck, Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so that's I really to be honest with you, it's going back to like creation question. Okay. Right. It's interesting, like when you read through Genesis at the so like, you know, in day one and day two and day three of his creation, and I'm not even like and if you're sitting here and you don't believe in the literal day one, day two, day three, that's fine, but in day one, day two, day three, when he's listing all of these days in his of his creation, at the end of them he says, And it is good. And it is good. Right. And that's kind of the common theme at the end of each day of creation. It's good. It's good. Like his creation is good. And then when humanity disobeys God 
and steps into sin, it not only breaks relationship between God and humanity, but it brings and brings sin into humanity, but it brings sin into all of creation itself. In all of creation itself, creation now is broken. Creation now is full of sin. And so therefore you've got, you know, sickness and disease and death and all this stuff, right? That you didn't have prior to this. And all I'm getting to is, so when we look around and we see the world landscape for what it is, we can't just go, well, God, you did this. You made it suck, right? What we're really saying is humanity did this, brought brokenness, brought dysfunctionality, brought disease and and sin into the world through its disobedience, and it's just continued to do so. So, so if th- we could ever stop doing that, it would go back to good? Yeah, like if we were just magically able to just stop doing bad things, right? Magically? <laughs> okay. Yeah, because that's pretty much it. It to be some kind of <laughs> magical, supernatural something, right? Yeah, sure. And uh, and so if we're able to <laughs> if we're able to do this, just somehow some way, we would find ourselves in a in a really different world. But I don't think even in our best efforts, regardless of what quote unquote magic you want to use, you're going to find yourself being able to do that. So, well, if we killed all the bad people and only left the good ones, okay, and then killed ourselves, <laughs> <laughs> then we'd be good. So. I don't think so, Tim. Like, we've tried this before, actually. Oh. Yeah, it's called the flood. Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, this thing has actually kind of happened before, right? So for those that don't know the story of the flood. God did that. Yeah, God did that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, God actually did this. (laughs) So in God's goodness (laughs) toward his creation and desiring for his creation to to be good, Good as he created and intended it for to be, God actually, you know, looks down at humanity, sees that what he says in scripture is that there's like you start reading in Genesis six and seven, the story of the flood, you see that God looks down at humanity and sees that there's nothing but evil in their hearts, is what he says. And so therefore he decides to wipe out all of humanity with a flood, except for one man Noah and his family. And so he saves this one man, Noah, and his family, floods the whole earth. And you're right. Like, I don't know. Like, it's funny to me. Like, sometimes, like, you'll, you'll walk into, like, preschool rooms or stuff, you know, at church, and there's these little paintings of the flood. And they, mm. you know, it's like there's the ark, and it's kind of floating. And I'm like, yeah, but there's all these people that are drowning. <laughs> I mean, like, it's not a... It's, yeah, there'd be corpses. <laughs> Floating. Floating and all, all around and, it. Right. And on the rocks and everywhere else. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because all of humanity literally is just wiped out. And so, you know, that could be a whole story for another <laughs> day, right? And But God's heart was he looked at humanity, so there's nothing but evil in their hearts. And so he, basically he says, let's start this thing over. Mm-hmm. So he's got one righteous man, Noah. He says, hey, you and your family, I'm going to spare you. Everyone else has got to go. We're going to restart this thing. And floods the earth. After the flood is over, Noah and his kids begin reproducing again. And then in a short period of time, it's God says, there's still just nothing but evil in their hearts. 
Oh, right. Because, like, the first thing he did was get drunk. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it's just bad from point one. And and so and so actually. So God was just like, son of a. <laughs> I just killed everyone, man. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, then Noah and his family just botched the whole thing up again right. and immediately. Immediately, and so then, therefore, God says, "Yeah, I mean, basically, like God's like, oh, all right, well, I'm not going to wipe out all of humanity again." And it took him forever too, because he had to grow it all and then let it right ferment. And the whole time, God would have been like, "Come, <laughs> come on." <laughs> Yeah, and so right, and it's and so God, you know, it says, "All right, well, we're not going to wipe out humanity again like this. We're not going to wipe out humanity again like this." So He makes a covenant. So you know, a lot of people refer to it as the covenant with Noah, the Noahic covenant. And so He makes a covenant with Noah. We're not going to wipe out humanity again. And the sign of that covenant is the rainbow. So every time we see. Uh, rainbow in the sky, we should look at that and it's a reminder of, really, it should be a reminder of God's goodness toward us that he won't do that again. It sounds like blackmail. <laughs> Black, why does it sound like blackmail? <laughs> like, hey, here's a reminder. <laughs> this is what I did before. Yeah, I can do it again. <laughs> but no, he's actually saying I won't do it again, okay. regardless of how bad y'all screw it up. So Okay, well, that's good. And then people started doing it for God after that. Started doing what? For trying, God? trying to kill evil people. Christians did. Yeah, it was a whole history of just... For a long time. For, uh, yeah, all the, we could go on all the crusades and all that kind yeah. of stuff, right? And yeah, just people started trying to basically take up arms, right, for God. God wasn't asking them to do that. Okay. So. The second part, why is there so much evil in the world? Um, if God is good, why is there so much evil in the world? The second part. Mm-hmm. It, is evil just here? Like, is it just, you know, in the air, you know, yeah. or whatever? Or is is something pushing evil toward us? Yeah, so I think it's both. Okay. Okay, so what I mean by that is, like what we said before with the fact that creation is broken mm. and there's sin and there's sickness and there's disease and right that's there like there's a broken creation you know we have yeah as human as as humans we have broken bodies that are susceptible to disease and addictions and all those types of things and so we so there's there is the if you want to, if you're labeling that like quote unquote evil then that is there that's present mm. okay and then there's also, so like, for example, like I believe in a spiritual realm, mm-hmm. a spiritual realm where there's God and there's angels, and there's blessings, but also there's Satan and demons and curse. And so in that spiritual realm or that, or the demonic realm, there is this, for me, there's this, yeah, there's reality of where evil isn't just like out there because creation is broken, but evil is being directed toward okay. us. And so... Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 and following, actually talks about the fact that we are, that like our war as, as believers, our war is not with flesh and blood. Like our our, our arguments are, you know, flesh and blood is not my enemy. Mm-hmm. It talks about the, there's powers and principality that's active and happening that that's where our war is against because mm-hmm. they're the ones attempting to influence individuals 
into evil and also bringing, quote-unquote, evil in regards to sickness or disease as well, not just brokenness in creation. If I get some disease that none of my actions had nothing to do with, Mm -hmm. where does that come from? Did someone want me to have that? Or did like a, a demonic, evil, spiritual realm presence want me to have that? Or is that just a byproduct of evil being? Yeah, I, I think in Scripture, you see in the New Testament with Jesus, you see it both ways. You see it where he is healing someone of a disease, but to do so, he's got to cast out the demon. Because there's a demon behind that disease that's causing that disease, that's causing an individual to be sick, okay? And then there's other times where Jesus just heals somebody. There's no casting out of demons. He just heals them of that ailment. And so I think you see it both ways. It can be demonically influenced, and it can just be that we live in a broken world with broken bodies that's susceptible to disease. How do demons decide who to give cancer yeah, like how how are they like? In other words, what's, who, what's directing them? Yeah, yeah. So Satan. Okay. So yeah. who, who? Why? Like, why would he pick certain people over other people? Now you're getting to questions that I don't know, man. Okay. I mean, honestly, like, I think that and that's what I'm saying. Like, I do think that there's sometimes where we're by by no fault of our own we get sick, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and and so I'm not going to sit here and try to say I can understand. Or explain everything, you know, mm. in regards to, well, why does that person get sick and not that person, right? Or um, you're the pastor. <laughs> I'm supposed to be the know it all, right? right. And um, yeah, surprise, surprise, I'm not. <laughs> and uh, but I think that that's one of the things, like, you know, there's like, you know, when I was sick for five years, you know, when I had um, chronic and acute pancreatitis for five years, was that demonically influenced? Was that just my body? You know, like that I do that to myself, you know, uh, through poor health or you know, not take care of my body as well as I should have. Like, why did I get sick? Right. And why did it last so long? And then why was I all of a sudden perfectly fine five years later? Now, I would sit here and tell you that I believe the reason I'm perfectly fine five years later is because the Lord healed me. Why did it take five years? Right. You can get into all these questions mm-hmm. of why, you know, OK, well, Let's say I even did cause it myself because I wasn't taking care of my own body, right? But then why five years? Like, why did it take five years for the Lord to heal me? Why not heal me on the spot? Is he trying to teach me something, show me something? Am I trying to learn something? Like, what, right? And so I think those are kind of all the things you can start going down the kind of the rabbit hole with that I don't think is necessarily beneficial or helpful. Why, you know, why this or... Why is it not helpful? Yeah. Because I don't think there's answers there. And it's not saying that I'm like resigning to myself to going, oh, well. But I think in a lot of ways, it's just, Lord, you you knew. I just have to say, it, ultimately, I'm just like trusting. Like, Lord, you knew. You knew why I, like, you knew I was sick. Mm-hmm. You knew I was sick for those five years. And then you healed me. So there was a ductway in my pancreas that was completely split that they could not put back together. And that's what was causing my pancreatitis. Then all of a sudden, boom, it's healed. Don't know why. But other than I think the Lord healed me. But then I don't know why it took five years for that to happen, right? Like why did I have to have pain almost constantly, you know, in some form or fashion, pain, discomfort, nausea, almost constantly for five years? 
And I think that's, you know, so I can ask those questions, but then I ultimately, I think I have to default to, but God, you are good. Like we talked about earlier, like you are good. And I do trust you in that. So I've heard like testimonies at church of people and they give answers to those questions in their testimonies. Okay. So like, how do they know they're right? Yeah, I I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I won't speak for other people. Yeah. I, I'll just speak for me. Like, I can just say, the Lord healed me, right? Mm-hmm. I can say that. And I feel confident in saying that, that the Lord healed me. And I thank God that he healed me. Like, why, on you know, in January of 2020, did he choose to heal me, right? Like, was it because that I had resigned myself to the point that, God, if if I'm going to die, I'm okay with it? And that's where I was at. Mm. Like, if I die, like, I'm really okay with it, Lord, at this point. I don't know if that's necessarily the answer. I mean, I can sit here and tell you all the things that I learned in the midst of those five years, but I don't know that... I can sit here and go, well, yep, that's what I need. All those things were the things I need to learn. And then after five years, boom, I got healed. I just know, hey, God healed me. And I'm grateful and thankful that he did. Yeah. And in, 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 a, in a crazy way, like I actually feel closer to God because of it. You know, but I think a lot of people will say that, like when they go through hard times, whether it's sickness or something else, like you, a lot, of, I mean, there's the initial part, like, I mean, I'm just like full on depressed for like a, you know, a couple months, you know, after first diagnosis with things, because I was in so much pain, it felt so bad. And then I had another, you know, time of depression where I kind of dipped down because of some medicines and stuff I was on to try to fight the pain. Like, I'm not saying there wasn't really difficult, tough times. And there was days where, man, I, I was in so much pain, it was unbelievable. But at the same time, all those things tend to draw you closer. For me, it drew, drew me closer to God. And so at the end of the day, uh, you know, when it was all said and done, like, it was really weird, actually. Like, for the first year afterward, I would I would have times where I wish I was sick again because I just wanted— you wanted to just go home? I just wanted to go home and be close to God. And Did uh, you feel close to God because you were dying? Maybe. You know? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, no, I, I don't think it was just because I was dying. Um, uh, you know, uh, there was parts I was hoping I wasn't dying, <laughs> you know, like there wasn't the whole time going, oh no, I'm dying. And, <laughs> you know, like a lot of the time I didn't feel like I was dying. Um, but there were times where, yeah, I did feel like I was dying. You know, there were a couple of times where there, it was pretty dicey there in the midst of all that. Yeah. You, I don't know. I just, I did. I felt like. God, you're with me in the midst of all this. Mm. Whether I live or whether I die, you're with me. Um, and sometimes I'm, uh, sometimes even, you know, especially that first year afterwards, occasionally to every once in a while today, but, um, or now, but yeah, I'll miss those times just being close to God. So evil is, is in the room, mm-hmm. just chilling, just chilling and being in the air. Yeah. And whatever. And then there's specific times of evil where it's like, coordinated efforts yeah okay. should, we, should we define evil would that be helpful maybe um so i'm going to define it this way okay okay i'm going to define evil as where and, and this is where we have to understand evil okay i think you know when we talk about sickness and and all those kind of things we can debate where those things are evil or not right i mean i think there are results of brokenness in humanity okay right um but, you know, if evil is defined, like I had one professor that would define evil as the absence of the presence of God. I think I would define it 
maybe a little more specifically to the absence of God's direct rulership or reign okay. in that in that person or in that place or space or region or country, because I do think that there is the reality that, so and I know we sit here and say, well, God rules over everything. Well, yes and no. I've always wondered about that. Yeah. Like Like who is in control of earth? Yeah. Like is evil in control of earth or is it still God's thing? God's kingdom. Okay. Mm -hmm. God's domain, God's place of rulership is not all of the earth in the sense of territory. Okay. Like I think we kind of tend to to think of it in spatial terms. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's not the way that God is working. Like he's not looking at this like one like regional area and go, well, that's mine. That's not mine. Like he's looking at people, and I th- and I do think there can be some areas, if you were, where there's just a, a real absence, mm-hmm. you know, of of God's presence because there's nothing but like wickedness happening in that space. Okay, like the Verizon map. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like the Verizon map. I've never thought about equating that with the Verizon map, but sure. Like, yeah, I do think there's, you know, where where God's, you know, looking at the he's he's looking at the earth. He's involved in the affairs of his creation, and specifically his believers who are praying and crying and calling out to him. I say his believers, his followers, who are are you know praying and crying out to him. So he is involved in the affairs of humanity, but. There's also the honesty of saying that individual is is absent of God's rulership in their life. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that may be, or that is why they are doing X, Y, and Z that we think are so horrific and so bad, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's like asking the question, like, why did Hitler become Hitler as we know him, right? Like how does someone get to this place or how does someone become a serial killer, right? Like what leads them to to that level of depravity? Mm. And I think Romans does a really good job when you're going through Romans chapter one, kind of verse 18 and following, you're going through Romans at the and toward the end of Romans one, it basically says God finally just you know, it's like this progression, like where step one is they begin worshiping the creation and not the creator. Okay. Okay. So, and then step two is, well, so then God turns them over to the lust of their heart. Okay. And so in other words, they begin to, to they're, it's like they're, they begin to engage in the things that's really there in their hearts anyway. Okay. And then finally, it's like God just turns them over to a depraved mind. In other words, God just completely turns them over to themselves. And who they are in themselves is what comes out, mm-hmm. right? And so, and and I think that's where you end up with individuals that just go, and you can just look and, I, and identify and see, and they've just, it's like, how did they get to that place of evil or wickedness? And it's like, well, that's just, that is the result of being completely turned over to themselves. Mm-hmm. In other words, that they're just being what's in them. And I think that's the kind of the, the depth of depravity that we can find in humanity. And and so, and I would say, in you know, in those people's lives, obviously there's the absence of God's rulership or reign there. So that's why it kind of keeps allowing it to go there. And I'm not saying 
that obviously I'm not saying that everyone who's a non-believer goes to the, goes to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I do think a lot of people, you know, that are not believers, they can live quote unquote good moral lives because that's their worldview, that's their setup. They don't desire to do X, Y, and Z. But then you got others, man, that's just, you know, for whatever reason, that's like in their nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and and left unchecked, that's what they end up becoming. God could uh, just stop it, right? Because he's all good and all powerful. Okay, so God could just stop it. God could just stop all evil from being evil already now. Yes. He told us he wasn't going to do that until <laughs> yeah, right. a certain point, but right. he could. Right. So why does he allow evil to be evil still? Gotcha. Because yeah. it sucks. <laughs> yeah, there will, so there will be a time where evil ceases to exist, and it's called the new creation, which occurs at the end time. So it's when the kingdom of this world completely becomes the kingdom of our God. And that's kind of what we were talking about a second ago, right? Where God's not just ruling in these individual people, but rather he's ruling and reigning over all of the earth. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, but until then, you know, while people still live in a fallen and broken world, I mean, evil's just going to keep on existing for God to just step in and, Cause evil to just cease to exist again would require, I mean, Jesus' return and the refining of this earth the way it's described, you know, into where it's new heavens and new earth and new creation. Logically, basically, since he could stop everything right now and do that right now, it seems like he wants evil things to happen to people since he's not doing that already. Does he like evil? Does he want evil stuff to keep happening to people? No. Okay, well, then that doesn't make sense. Okay. All right. So we got one example of the flood, right? Right. Where he's like, okay, I don't want evil in the world, right? Okay. So let's try this method. And I'm not saying he, uh, that that came off really bad as if God didn't know <laughs> what he was doing. And so, but God was like, all right, we're going to do this. And the reality is that what well, that showed. God already knew this, but what it showed humanity was that the evil that existed, the wickedness that existed, was more than just the brokenness of outside creation or just more than just circumstances or situation. It had to do with the evil that's within our hearts. Okay. All right? And so... So we're just bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything we're wrong We're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> All thing wrong with saying there's like that we are depraved, like we are in need of of God because there is something that is inherently jacked up in our in our hearts that we want things, we lust after things, covet after things to try to satisfy, fulfill us. Uh, we want things that we shouldn't want, right? We so lust. It's my fault. It's it's in us. It's our nature. That's what I'm getting to. You're so evil. You too, bro. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But I think that's when, you know, so I talked about earlier that progression in Romans where you see 
this, you know, what leads individuals into these horrific acts is what's with inside of them, right? And when they're left unchecked, when when God is God finally just turns us over to everything we fully want within us, I think that can be a that can be a scary place. You know, we sometimes people refer to it as there's that kind of the shadow side, you know, in us that's just always right beneath the surface. And that, so God could stop all of this, but we could stop being evil also. So God has made a way to begin stopping this. Right. But no, we cannot just stop. I'm not saying we don't have self for self-control or self-restraint, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, sure we do. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have people that are addicts that stop becoming addicts not because they initially get saved, but because they make the right choices and decisions to stop being an addict, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I'm not saying that we don't have self-control. Sure, we do. We, we we have to always take ownership and responsibility of our actions. You know, in other words, because I think the issue is not that, like there's, yeah, there can be lust and covetousness in our hearts, but we make the decisions if we're going to act on that thing or not. Okay. That's, that's where... That's where we come into play in this. That's where our free will comes into play in this. Okay, so our nature may be bent toward a sin, but we are the ones that actually choose if we're going to step into that or not, right? Like, I'm going to—I may want to look at pornography, but I ultimately am choosing if I'm going to look at pornography or not. That's my choice, my will— so there's stuff like that where it's my choice to stop it, but then there's also the in the air evil that just yeah, there's just the brokenness me. in the in the. So I guess that's because we can't do anything to stop that. No, we can't do anything to stop. I mean, I guess we could a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like right, we've made like technology, technolo- technology, medical progression, yeah. and yeah, but I mean, we're ultimately not stopping all sickness, and we're not stopping death. If we keep. Living longer and longer, though, death is going to feel, like, great. <laughs> like, please, <laughs> let us die. Yeah. I mean, and of, course, as, and, of course, as a believer, I look at death completely different, right? Mm-hmm. As a believer, death is not the great enemy. Right. Because like, you get I'm, to go to a cool place. Right. I'm going, actually, to a better place. Yeah. Right, where there is no evil. Yeah, where there, where there, I'm getting to go to a place where there is no sin, there is no sickness, mm-hmm. there is no curse, there is no death. Yeah, it's that's that's a that's a way better place. Okay, and so for me, death is not the great enemy. Okay, I have death a question. has been defeated. Yeah, good. I have a question. All right, people don't like it when I say that. Don't like when you say what? Like if I died right now, my mm-hmm. experience immediately would be a thousand percent better. As oh, sure. an alive soul. Sure. But like the people real close to me and like my family don't like it when I say that. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm right, though. You're absolutely 100% right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I don't think I mean, that all of our loved ones, right? Like, when I, like <laughs> I remember when I was like this young, zealous Christian and I was talking to my dad and I was like, Dad, I, th- I feel called to be martyred. <laughs> What? Yeah, like I like, I feel called to be martyred. Like drop me into another country, right? Let me go share the gospel and Are you telling and people die. to come <laughs> to come martyr me? To no. come martyr you? <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> like but like I was like, Dad, I think I think I'm called to be a martyr. 
my dad was like, son, that's not something you really, really want to tell your father. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Hang on, hang on. I did it all for Jesus. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I mean, I don't think any of us want to lose loved ones, right? And so we'll miss. So, yeah, your family would miss you, you know, but would your experience be completely better than the present experience that you are having now? Absolutely. All right. But I want to hit this thing, though, right? Okay. One of the reasons that Jesus came, okay, so it says in First John, was to destroy the works of the enemy, mm-hmm. okay? So Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy, and he also came to, to allow us to enter into a new covenant or into a new relationship with God, okay? Mm-hmm. Through his coming, as we put our faith and our trust in Jesus' death and his resurrection, and the Holy Spirit comes in us— the Holy Spirit then begins to transform our heart. Okay. And so the, the the new covenant promises, like in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, is that we'll actually be given a new heart. And and I think and I think what that's talking about is that we're in the midst of our heart. And I say heart, I mean like the core of our being. I don't, we've, mm-hmm. we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But like with what's, what's inside of us being transformed. Okay. So there's this transformation happening inside, should be happening inside believers within us. That's causing us to look more like Christ. That's causing that transformation. And I get it. Like you can run into Christians, these and and they are Christians, and they're you know they're but they can come across as a jerk, or you know they can be deceitful or whatever. Like I I, I get that, but. What should be happening in the life of a Christian is that the from the inside, our heart is being transformed. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five talks about the fact that we are that we are a new creation in Christ, and that's what it's referring to. Like that new creation has already begun in us, and that's what I'm saying. Because the transformation of our heart is the only thing that causes evil, our nature, right, mm-hmm. to actually change our nature to change and evil to cease to exist in its dominant role in our lives. And so I'm having a heart, my heart should be being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And so where that's, you know, that evil part, that that evil nature part of me is, is continually being, I guess to use our Christian word, you know, kind of crucified, right? In other words, kind of just, it's, it's, it's power is, waning mm-hmm. over me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so therefore, because I'm being changed from the inside out, now my actions are different. And I think that's the only way that humanity can actually be transformed and we actually be better. Like, so the whole idea that we can just be, a like, create a better society just by having better systems and structures, I, I just, I don't believe that's the case. I think it only can happen if we have a transformation on the inside. Or do some crusades. <laughs> Let's don't do the crusades. <laughs> Man, that's a horrible part of our history. <laughs> okay, so Job, the book of Job, mm-hmm. or Job, if you don't know what it is, and just read it. <laughs> that book is about this topic. Basically, the question of that thing, the book, is does God work with Satan or does... Does God take the protection bubble off of Job 
and then Satan does whatever he wants. Right. All right. So remember. So, so what's the right one? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So remember, Job is part of the wisdom literature genre with the within the Old Testament. Okay. Okay. And so, in other words, but it's, it's supposed to portray accurate. Yeah, but it's reality. not. Be, but it's not. Be, it's not to be taken literally. Okay. Okay. So it's supposed to be teaching us a truth, right? It's pointing toward a larger truth. Yeah, it's expressing a, a truth. Okay, a larger point. All right, and it. And I think the truth that's being conveyed is this. That God does not direct evil toward us, but ultimately God is sovereign and oversees all the affairs of mankind. What? what? <laughs> okay, so, all right. So, God, like, in the book of Job, we don't see God as the one who's afflicting Job. Right. right? Like, he's not the one directly doing anything right but it's like a progression of terribleness so is god like hey you can do this little bit and then and then yeah that's the way the story is unfolding right and i think what the what i'm getting to i think the point of the whole story okay is the fact that god is ultimately in control regardless of how bad it gets Mm. god is ultimately the one that's in control and So. so when Job, when Job goes to in, in the in the story, Job has an opportunity to talk to God. So he goes and he's talking to God. And before I say he's talking to God, before this he is before even, all the stuff, no, this after, is after all, all the stuff. stuff. Okay, okay, this is after all the stuff where, and for those that don't know the story of Job, he loses everything. He loses his kids. He loses his property. He loses his. You know, source of income. He loses his health. He eventually loses his friends, and I mean, and then the "quote unquote" three friends that he does have are all telling him to curse God and die. I mean, even his wife is telling him to curse God and die. I thought she died too. Maybe that was a different wife because they used to have lots of them back then. Job just has one wife. All right. Well, there is actually an account in another extra biblical book that he had two wives, but we won't get into that. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't real, though, so who cares? Right. It's just a made-up story. Uh, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Like I said, the Bible needs to have the made-up story section, like... All together. Labeled. Well, and see, that's one of the problems there, right? Is that we don't understand that, but Jews would have easily understood that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Like they're they're reading they're reading you know Job and they're reading Song of Solomon and they know those stories are not true in the sense of like literal stories. So Jews are better than us. They understood their scriptures better than we understand <laughs> their scriptures. I'll say that. Okay. Yeah. Fine. So he's allowed. You know, God has allowed all of this loss to happen to Job. Job finally has an opportunity to speak to God, and then God says, "Well, where were you?" When I placed the stars in, in the heavens and named them, you know, where were you when I did this in creation? And all God is saying is, I'm God and you're not. Trust me that I know what I'm doing. Nana na boo boo. That may have been felt a little bit, but you know, but it's just that sense of, but trust me, I know what I'm doing. Mm. And in the end of it all, 
Job doesn't go on his long uh, discourse that he was planning on. He accepts it. And then at the end of the story of Job, he receives back all that he had lost. Okay, so you see him with, you know, his son with sons and daughters again and with, you know, all, you know, double the amount of cattle and property and all these kind of things are. But not the same one added back again. No. So his wife just doesn't. Yeah. God's like up there with his family. Like, trust me, bro. I know what I'm doing. (laughs) But remember, it's trying to. I got your wife (laughs) right here. No, it's It's trying to tell a point, right? Because obviously, in real life, if I lose kids, it doesn't matter if I have four more kids. Yeah, you can just get new kids. (laughs) No, it doesn't like diminish the pain and the hurt of the kids I've lost, right? Yeah. And so, but in a story like this, it's trying to show a point. At the end of it all, Job is blessed with or you know with with more sons and daughters with property all that kind of stuff and in the midst of all of this i think there's a a reality that we can trust god in the midst of our difficult times and that we can remember that ultimately his his desire for us is good and i and i know like and this sounds weird, but like when I was going through my pancreatitis, actually Job became my favorite book. And because I was able to connect with the loss and the, you know, when Job was going through, especially when Job was going through like his physical ailments and those types of things and his questioning of God. And I was doing some of the similar things, questioning. I, I talked about becoming close to God, but yeah, but there was a deep questioning of God initially. And so, but Job became this like, actually this book of comfort because the whole book of Job is not just a book about how to deal with suffering or trauma um, or pain and hurt. It's the fact that God is this great God, this good God who is overseeing everything and can be trusted. And that was what ultimately gave me comfort was that in the midst of me going through all these things, regardless of what people around me were saying, I could say, but I'm going to choose to trust God because he's ultimately in control and I trust he knows what he's doing in my life. God and Satan weren't working together to make Job's life hell. Yeah. So like in the story, I understand it's So in the story, to bring clarity, Satan is going up to God and saying, hey, the only reason Job is still worshiping you is because everything is so good in his life. But if you start, stop, you know, um, blessing him, you start removing some of those, you know, blessings from his life, he won't continue to worship you. And so then God, you know, says, well, you can basically test Job, but you can't harm him directly. And, you know, it goes through this series of things that God allows Satan to do to Job or around Job that will affect Job. So so Satan's doing these things to, to hurt, and it looks, and there there's these constant kind of back and forthness between Satan and God. And do I think that Satan is continually accusing those that follow Jesus. Yes. Accusing? Accusing. Like, in other words, do I think he's bringing accusation against us by saying maybe things that are similar to what's being said in Job? 
Like if you harm them, God, if you hurt them, God, they're not really going to follow you. Or did you see that they did that, God? They're really not following you. Oh, um, so yeah, almost like a taunting in some ways. So like that's why you had pancreatic whatever. Yeah, and like and I think you know some people because life was super good and and right uh, yeah right okay. and uh, and I think there would be some people that would be like well that was you know that's the enemy right attacking you. You have other people that are like. This is, you know, God, you know, testing you. You know, <laughs> you kind of have it from all these different sides and angles when you go through things like that. And, and the situation with Job and God and ultimately the larger story there of the way that interacting and we do see in Revelation where Satan is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. That's the phrase that's used of, of okay. Satan. He's referred to as the accuser of the brethren. And so, in other words... So or, he's a tattletale. The accuser of... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, right? Oh. Yeah. Like the accuser of the believers. Okay. Um, when you, I think the picture that, that exists is that there is, there is Satan, and he's not able to see everything... He doesn't... Like, he's not able to just know everything about everybody and be in, one, be in all places at one time. Like, he can't do all that, okay? And so... But he is... You know, he has this company of demons and they're attacking people and, and you know, whether they're <laughs> giving him information on us, you know, we get into all that stuff. But um, the larger story of Job, though, I think is painting this picture that even when Satan is doing things, okay, ultimately God is in charge and God is allowing things to happen, but only up to a point. Satan likes hurting people yes and sometimes he brings up certain people to god and god says yeah sure do whatever i'm not sure i'm going to go to the yes yeah, sure do whatever just don't point. kill him. <laughs> yeah i'm not sure you know i think satan is able to aff- afflict us with illness and sickness i mean obviously we see that mm-hmm. demons call sickness and illness do i think that those things can happen yeah and do I think that sometimes those illnesses and sicknesses can lead to death? Yes, I do. And so, yeah, you'd be right in, in that sense, okay? But do I think that every bad thing that happens to us is because Satan is behind it? No. Uh, I think that's where we have to be careful not to get to that point. So God just allows Satan to do stuff sometimes. Yeah. But I think, like, so for example, you have... a. An individual who is drunk, gets behind a wheel of a car, drives off, hits another vehicle head on, all the passengers die. Okay. I'm not saying that was Satan. I'm saying that was an individual in this fallen world making a really poor decision, and it caused an evil thing to happen. And so that's why I want to say I just want to be careful that we're not saying everything that's happening that we deem as bad or that we deem as wrong or evil is a direct is directly caused by Satan. So did both types of things happen to Job in the story? Yeah, in some ways, because it, it, you now the extreme things that are happening to Job, the losing of his family, the losing of his property, the losing of his health. Those things are in the story are attributed to Satan. Okay. Okay. But then the three counselors that come around him who are supposed to be friends and they are accusing mm-hmm. um, Job of, well, I mean, like one of them was basically like, well, you know what? If you weren't such a sinner and so self righteous, 
all this stuff wouldn't have happened to you, right? I'm not saying Satan was behind that. I'm saying that's just a fallen individual who is trying to make sense of what's going on around Job and Job's life. And his own logical conclusion is, if all of this really bad stuff is happening, it must be Job's fault. That one friend. Yeah. Because there was three three of There's them three with of different them. perspectives, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. But all... <laughs> None of them were helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They all attributed either to, you know, Job's own, own sin... Or that Job must have, you know, you just you're either too self righteous, right, or you're not righteous enough, um, you're not being faithful enough, mm. and so there's these different kind of accusations being laid on Job, but that all have to do with the fact that Job caused all this. Okay, yeah. So that's kind of what his friends are doing, and then his wife is the one who comes in and is like, just curse God and die. <laughs> Right? Like, all of this is God's fault. Mm. Just curse them and die. And so... But honey, we could just make new kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See how that goes over. We tell that to her. Okay. Yeah. And so, the I think that's the... I think kind of the point is you're going... Like, there's things that are happening that are painful in Job's life because of Satan being behind things. And then there's also things that are happening in Job's life that are painful to him, like, you know, friends seemingly betraying him and those types of things that aren't necessarily being provoked by Satan. It's just in their own fallen humanity, this is the way they're acting out, if you were. Evil is not, I think we might have hit on this, but evil is not like evenly dispersed throughout the world. Yeah, that's fair to say. So without getting called racist and mentioning specific places, Mm -hmm. why does this happen? To be honest with you, so much of this is based on the cultures and the worldviews within those cultures. In other words, what within those cultures are valued or not valued, Mm -hmm. what people within those cultures are valued or not valued, what moral things in those cultures are valued or not valued. Um, I think there's, when I say in the culture, like like you're talking about the predominant worldview within those cultures, right? The the predominant beliefs, predominant values Mm. within that culture. I think that has a lot to do with what happens because then when there's not, when when there's not a, a worldview that is honoring life, Right, then, mm-hmm. then, or honoring a certain gender or honoring a certain people group. Um, what happens is when the culture doesn't honor that, the, 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 there's no value for those people, then, then their rights as a human being are just trampled upon. Mm. And so you're right in the sense of you don't see that equally playing out across the world. I mean, you see in some countries just the most abhorrent just um, government corruption that causes poverty, that causes human trafficking, that causes just, I mean, terrible situations. Um, You know, in, in other cultures, there's this, you know, sense of we're not going to value women. And so therefore, because that individual is a woman, they're automatically valued less and we will treat them 
as less. So we'll treat them as just, you know, whether it be as sexual objects or as individuals that just have to kind of serve and are at the, you know, kind of the beckoning of, of the male, mm. right? Um, in other cultures, different races are, are you know, discriminated against. In, uh, in some cultures, it's not, a, it's not a racial thing. It's about where you were born or to what people group you were born to. And all of those things end up causing a sense of entitlement by one group, you know, that's, you know, automatically oppressing another group and which leads to, um, which can lead to things, you know, again, whether it's poverty or abuse or trafficking to happen. Mm -hmm. And so you are right. Um, One of the things that, you know, when you look through it historically, it... It's it's not all it's not like it's well it's always been this way in this culture or this country. In some countries, you can see it actually moving and shifting. Where okay, maybe they valued one thing at one time because of a predominant um, group that's in power, and then it changes and shifts based upon the predominant group that's in power and what they value and what they believe. If you were to tell talk to somebody who was experiencing what you've defined as evil stuff, mm-hmm. like experiencing a disease or okay. something they can't control or something they feel like they can't control. Sure. Stuff like that. What would you, what like experiencing that on an individual level or as a family or whatever, what would right. you say to that? Or what, what, what would you tell them and how, how to think about this spiritually or according to God or, Generally, sometimes this can be really tough, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes people are just born into situations that are just incredibly painful. That are just, you know, whether it's full of abuse or full of neglect, or you know, it's that's just unfortunately what they were born into. Others were born into situations that weren't like that at all. They could be great situations, wonderful situations, but then at some point in time over the course of life, they encounter or they experience situations that, you know, lead to lead to pain and to hurt um, and to and to trauma and and I, so I don't think we can just you know paint things with just this you know wide sweeping brush of why things happen to certain people or how people should react. But I, I do know this: um, if people are experiencing pain or trauma that that they did not bring upon themselves. In other words, it wasn't like their bad decisions brought it upon themselves, mm-hmm. okay? And they feel hurt and they feel mad or they feel grief or w- whatever it may be, like those feelings that they feel there are are normal. And so if you're feeling anger, you're feeling grief, you're, you're feeling like... Or you're questioning things like, God, why did you allow this? Like, I think all of those things are natural feelings and reactions to, quote unquote, evil that occurs in our life, whether it be sickness or abuse or neglect or whatever it might be, right? Whatever circumstance or situation might be leading to us having pain. But then I think in the midst of that, it's kind of like bringing back to the story of Job. In the midst of that, God actually is with us. So in the midst of it, God actually is with us. He has not abandoned us. He has not left us. He has not, 
you know, turned the other way and not acknowledging us. He's actually with us. <laughs> this may, I hope this does, like, I hope people hear me when I say this. I don't want to sound a cliche or anything like that. Jesus himself, God himself, was beaten, suffered, and died. And he didn't deserve any of it, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't bring any of that upon himself because he had deserved it. That's just what happened. And so he actually is intimately acquainted with us in our grief. He's intimately acquainted with us in our sorrow, in our pain, in our anger. He's like he's intimately acquainted with us in those places because he himself has suffered. He himself has experienced pain. One of the things that I believe that we have to do is to say, okay, God, maybe I don't understand all that's happening or why it's happened or the loss I've experienced, but God, I, I will say that I know that you're still here and that the presence of evil or the presence of pain doesn't mean an absence of you. And that, God, you yourself know what it's like to go through hurt and pain and shame. And therefore, if if anyone, I can lean into you and you actually can bring healing to me, whether that's healing in my body or that's healing in my emotions or in my, you know, my, my mental capacity, that, God, you actually can bring a healing in there. You can actually bring a restoration to me. You can actually bring a peace and a joy in in me and to me in the midst of horrible circumstances, because that is God who you are. And though you didn't cause all of this, you're you you are still ruling and reigning in me and in my life, and therefore you're present with me and able to bring a sense of comfort and a sense of peace and a sense of joy to me, even when the outside circumstances don't lend itself to there. And I think the greatest gift God always gives us is the gift of himself, right? Like we can look and look back and go, the greatest gift God ever gave us was the gift of his son. Yes, that's true. But this, the greatest gift he's ever given us still continuing to this day is God with us. I mean, that was the ultimate promise for every covenant that God gave that made with mankind was that I will be with you. Mm-hmm. I'm your God and I'm going to be with you. are my people and I'm going to be with you. And that is the ultimate promise of his covenants. And I think that's still true today. And so we really can rejoice in the fact that we can rejoice in the fact that God is still with us through it all. So whether I was going through my pancreatitis or whether I'm going through you know, stuff right now with a family member who's just been diagnosed with cancer and it's hard. And, but I can still say that God is with us, even in the midst of that. Is there anything I can do to stop evil stuff from happening to me or make it less? So, yeah, I mean, like, I think we mentioned this earlier, like how our war is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So I do think the reality of prayer is like, that I can pray and ask the God and, and ask the God, ask God to keep me from temptation. I mean, that's like, I mean, in I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you know the Lord's prayer or not, but in the Lord's prayer, I mean, it closes out with saying, "Deliver, you know, deliver me from evil." So I think, I mean, God is actually saying on a daily basis, "Pray, oh God, would you deliver me from evil today?" Mm. And so I think there's a reality 
that we should pray that. Deliver me from evil today. Deliver me from the evil one today. Deliver me from his plans and his schemes. Deliver me from evil today. But it doesn't mean that everything in life is just going to be roses because I'm praying that every day. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't mean that we're just immune to all evil. So in answer to your question, I do think there are some things that we can stop, but we can't stop the fact that we live in this broken world. All right, man. So you've had to sit here and listen to me talk about all this for a bit. Do you think God is good even though there's evil in the world? I think it depends on what kind of day I'm having. That's fair. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) But, I mean, kind of, but not really. I think he's good, I guess, even after our conversation, I'm still like, I don't know, about a couple things. Okay. But maybe it'll click when I edit it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what all the real revelation happens. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and I get it. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult topic, right? It's a hard one to kind of get our heads around because the the question still is just like, well, he could he could still stop everything, mm-hmm. and even though he's stopping good things from happening, he's also stopping bad things from happening. That's a tough one to wrap your head around, I think. Yeah, and it's and it's tough because sometimes our definition of something not being good. It's maybe not the same thing as his definition of not being good. Right. Yeah. Because there's that thing like the all things work together for good. Yeah. For those who love the Lord. Right. I don't know how growing up in poverty was working toward good. <laughs> right. But yeah. Yeah. But I think. Or anything else that happens. There. Yeah. But I mean, so, I mean, most of our favorite redemption stories and, you know, and personal stories come from those places of challenge and places that are hard and then you find, you know, God in the midst of it. It doesn't mean you have to come out of poverty and all of a sudden you're like a millionaire. I'm not meaning that kind of story, but just that you come out of hardship and then all of a sudden you're discovering God in the midst of it. I don't know. To me, I think that's where we find God a lot of times is in the midst of those hard things. That's true. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying he's assigning those hard things, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying that's where we oftentimes find find him yeah and i guess like calibrating my good evil (laughs) scale to what god's good evil scale is also different sure yeah and and of course he has the advantage of knowing the future and we don't right so we have to just sit here and and be in the suck and not know why (laughs) yeah yeah sometimes it it does feel that way yeah those five years were a long five years for me with pancreatitis Mm -hmm. right so you're kind of right. You're right. Sometimes you're just in the middle of it going, well, why? Well, that's what I think. Okay. Well, this has been the one I heard this podcast. Uh, Joseph, I guess I understand evil better. All righty. So thank you. You're welcome. Always, that's always the point, it's right? always the point. <laughs> if I can just get a little better grasp of darkness. Yeah, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know I feel it, but now I just know where it comes from. Hey, yeah. It, it's it's directed toward me, and it's all around me. <laughs> so it's everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> right. Hopefully, hopefully, there's some goodness and mm-hmm. some godliness that's happening in you and around right. you as well. Right. It's not just utter darkness. <laughs> you can find the podcast on Google Podcasts, 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Rumble. I feel like I say those in a different order every single time, but whatever, they're all there. You can keep up with updates on the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at When I Heard This Podcast. We have a Patreon. Go there. $5. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Nate Robinsoff, and you can find Joseph on Instagram at Rev Joe T. This has been the winner of this podcast, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.